It's 2018. The expansion and the bull market have been running for years. They might just run forever. Why not? Chances are the laws of economic cycles aren't actually broken, which means fast-moving stocks and cyclical industries, say, an RV maker that just keeps rolling, may be due for a U-turn. But what's the right way to analyze companies whose earnings and stock prices tend to follow a rocky road? How does one beat the cycle? Welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment stories from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes investment analysis work. I'm Daniel Schwarzman. Today we're featuring a special guest, Dr. X, as we review his thesis for why Thor Industries, ticker symbol THO, is worth buying. First, some background and a disclosure. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors around the world share their investment ideas and analysis. I have no position in the companies discussed though I am interested in Thor Industries as an investor. Nothing on here should be taken as investment advice of any sort. Dr. X owns a position in Thor, as well as Apple, Costco, Gilead Sciences, LCII, and Deer. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and subscribe to Behind the Idea on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Today's topic, Dr. X reviewed Thor Industries' recent earnings report and found a lot to like. The Seeking Alpha author has been bullish on the RV maker for several quarters and felt that the company's value grew in light of the report. The market is less sure, with the stock trading choppily in the days since the report. It's also down over 20% from its 52-week high. We invited Dr. X to join us today and make the case for Thor Industries and explain how he invests in a stock near peak earnings in an already peaky stock market. The theme of today's episode is how to recognize and deal with cycles and patterns, and which cycle is the right one. Just for background, Dr. X is a Seeking Alpha contributor and a stalwart one at that. He has been writing on Seeking Alpha for five years and has developed a large following through his publication of over 600 articles. He has a background in the pharmaceutical industry, and much of his work focuses on that area. I saw and really enjoyed his recent article on Thor Industries, which is why I invited him on. Dr. X is a pseudonym, but it's one that's become well-known on Seeking Alpha over the last five years. So welcome, Dr. X. Thank you for joining us. We're happy to have you. Dr. X, the first thing I want to start with is the most superficial, which is that the company's cyclical. It's had some significant drawdowns in the past. Right now, we're going through a 20-25% pullback. How do you look at the company knowing that it has these ups and downs in terms of making sure that you're not buying in at the top, or even if it, even if it catches up over time, how do you make sure to mitigate that? Or how do you look at it with the cycle in mind? Uh, thanks, uh, Dan, my uh, pleasure. Uh, first, as you know, and as I disclose in my articles, I'm not an investment advisor um, uh, commenting on a stock that I own. So I'm not discussing this with you with any goal to persuade anybody to do anything investment-wise. But sure. what, the way I look at at Thor is that it's a consolidator and a very successful one in a very difficult uh, basic industry that is an industry that's leveraged basically to prosperity, to household formation, and has lots of ways to grow uh, both within the United States and internationally, horizontally and vertically. So 
as far as buying into any stock in a market that's trading near its all-time highs in price, I don't think there's any way to be confident that one has either picked the bottom of a drawdown or isn't buying a breakout and then it reverses uh, downward. So what I've been doing with uh, most stocks that I, I try to write about and, and own is discussed the uh, cyclical risks, but if I'm bullish on a, a management or an industry, a stock within an industry, a longer term, then try to time the short term right. But if not, then as you said, uh, think about will the uh, stock, the company, uh, the industry prevail and provide alpha over the longer term, even if one gets the timing wrong initially. Okay. So maybe more specifically then to Thor, it's a RV maker, manufacturer and seller of recreational vehicles. One of the, I think, obvious things you worry about with the company, it's trading at a relatively compressed price to earnings multiple. It's something like 12 or 13, if I remember correctly. On forward. Yeah, okay. And that's that's a very low multiple, which implies that it's probably close to peak earnings in the market's view and that there is only so much more RV demand. I know you, in your article, you cite the company's feelings that there's still some years left, but how do you, what else do you do to get comfortable with what the RV cycle specifically looks like and how to get a sense of when that might turn or how you, how do, how do you weigh that in? Do you measure by average earnings or average sales or how do you sort of think through that process? Well, it's a great question. Um, something I've given a lot of thought to, and it relates to much of the stock market. It, it even uh, relates to uh, what are supposedly non-cyclical, such as biotech. So it's it's a topic that's not limited to a, a more uh, traditionally cyclical industry. So what I've done with Thor, for example, is look back on the Recreational Vehicle Industry Association's website, which is rvia.org. It goes back to about 1978 with annual sales data. And uh, you sent me a link to an article from, I guess, a short seller in Thor from about a year ago, where um, that author referenced a higher peak sales of RVs of over 400,000 in 1972 versus peak around 390,000 when the RVIA data appears. And those sales are about 390,000. It wasn't until about 2016 that sales passed the 1978 peak and they have only just in the past year passed the 1972 peak. Meanwhile, we're looking at a 60% higher population and higher uh, real wealth. And we're looking at a a large amount of pent-up demand from uh, millennials to go out and form homes. And they're not having an easy time of it. They're certainly not going to be rushing out and getting second homes. So an RV, once they get to a certain level, lets them get to there. So I think that there's upside uh, in a secular basis to, um, say, the 400,000 RV sales per year, multiply that by 1.6 or the 60% population gain uh, just on that uh, basis. Then there's the opportunity for Thor to 
uh, gain market share and to expand into adjacencies. So, so, Doc, to make sure I understand, I want to hit on the population idea. It sounds like the argument then is you have to know what the right cycle to look at is. And the article I sent you, it's from Value Investors Club. And I think that author's premise is that that 1972 peak is a fluke. But what you're pointing out is that, sure, maybe, but we're richer now as a nation and we are more populous. And so there should, in theory, be more fuel for the cycle. Is that is that the right way to catch what you're yes, getting remember, at? Yes. Remember, 1972 was followed by the uh, disastrous Great Recession of 1973 through 75, right. when, when all prices quadrupled. So uh, nothing hit the RV industry harder. And then you had further rises in oil prices. And so um, I don't think it was a fluke. I think there's been a 15-year period from 2001 through 2016 of uh, suppressed growth in the United States, leading to an above-average ratio of younger adults living with their parents. That's been shown. And I think that's beginning to reverse as per uh, the uh, industrial production uh, numbers that just came out today from the Fed for February, which were very strong and very strong for manufacturing. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't see that as a peak at all, as a fluke peak at all from 72. Okay, and I don't want to spend too much time on the macro, but a couple of things that just sort of occurred to me as you were saying that was oil prices, which looms, I guess, if they do recover, that, that would seem to be a bearish factor. And then also, as we're entering, in theory at least, a rising rate environment, and some of these purchases are done on credit. Do you look at those factors or do you look at other more macro factors like industrial production or what? how are you assessing the overall economic climate as you consider this stock specifically? Well, you know, I'm, I'm relatively bullish on the economy and I'm more bullish on the economy than I am on the prices of financial assets. Right. Um, I think that what we had after the Great Recession was a classic, typical money printing or money creation, to be technical, period, where the valuations of uh, stocks, bonds, gold for a long time exceeded the uh, growth of the real economy. And now I think the combination of uh, called Trumponomics and uh, what the Fed is doing with taking the punch bowl away is is a reasonable macro approach. And what it, where I want to be is in uh, companies and stocks that can make their way through what could be a challenging environment for the uh, trading prices of the assets and not try to get too smart about well, is it going to is Thor, is Thor going to drop to a hundred? Um, because you certainly could make the case that ten times near peak earnings is is a very appropriate PE. But that might be an appropriate PE for a, call it a normal interest rate environment where cash is at four to five percent and treasuries are at five plus percent. You know what I mean? And so when we're dealing with cash that is making its way painfully toward two and a half percent, you know, um, then I'm not uncomfortable with, uh, say, 12 times Thor's uh, projected calendar year 2018 earnings. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Let me move to Thor specifically. You had touched on the idea of millennial household formation as a potential driver, to use the pun, for Thor Industries. And I think that's one of the more unique aspects of this story for Thor as a investment idea is, are millennials actually driving the sales or are they actually still from baby boomers or older generations or is the is it more a factor of baby boomers buying fewer RVs what what are the sort of dynamics you're seeing both in terms of the population who's who what makes up the demographics of the customer and then also how, what's the life cycle of a customer? How many times do you, if I buy, I, I've never bought an RV, but if I were to be a typical RV buyer, is that something I buy for 10 years? Do I buy it once and hold on to it? What? How does that play into the thesis? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And it ties into part of your prior question that I neglected to answer, which is about uh, credit issues. The RVIA website and Thor in their quarterly Q&A updates are referencing a dropping average age of buyers. So I think they're getting more toward the best of uh, both worlds where um, people in their you know, 50s and 60s are um, are are buying or continuing to buy, and um, RVs are getting used by younger people in uh, both traditional ways and also less traditional, such as to um, have a good time before and after going to um, outdoor sporting or entertainment events. Camping is picking up, and it it is true. I think that there are at this stage in the cycle there are going to be some credit issues with uh, a little bit too lax credit. I, I I never get too hung up about that in a secular basis, but at some point, if the Fed overdoes it, and some banks have been swimming without their bathing trunks on and extending credit to to some lower in lower you know people who aren't really fully qualified to spend. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars for a, an elective purchase in RV. Meaning, yeah, you always you always get that, but these things tend to work themselves out. So I I, I think that what Thor is saying and what RVIA is saying about the dropping age uh, makes sense, and it, it makes sense because what I hear and read in earnings reports all over is difficulty of restaurants and. Uh, manufacturers such as Thor finding younger workers to do work that's not the highest paid or whatever. So I think there, that the um, the work hours coming into the economy are are going to go well for um, for workers and and for people who would tend to be RV buyers and mostly the middle class, middle class to upper middle class, and if we get more prosperous than the working class again. It sort of reinforces that, to some degree, it reinforces that cyclical notion of as the economy continues to improve, it it does kind of drive all these different positives for the company, which then, as you get younger buyers, also, in theory, should be a secular tailwind as well. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay. Great. So... I was going to say this for later, but actually it seems to occur to me now. 
tariffs is something that's been cited as the most recent sort of negative for any manufacturer that might use steel or aluminum. And I think the company covers it in their Q&A that they released with the earnings report. But just do you have any further thoughts? The company says that they source, I believe, most of their steel and aluminum domestically, if I remember correctly. But what are your the market reacts so there presumably is something there but what how are you sort of looking at that issue i think it's an issue i wouldn't take what they say about unchanged costs at face value uh, but the way i look at it is that the administration is both giving and and taking away from a manufacturer what they gave in the form of a 14 percent drop in income tax rates is uh, greater than the amount of any price hike for these raw materials, which couldn't be passed on, which Thor would have to absorb. So uh, I'm not too hung up on it. And again, it's a it's a one-time uh, tariff with exemption. So, you know, we're talking about a company that may be around many years. Right. Could be around many years unless it's acquired. So, you know, these things all come out in the mix. So let me then shift. I know you were just kind of throwing it in there about acquired, but I'm interested in the sector itself. Uh-huh. The the RV sector, you have Thor, you have a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, and then you have, that that's sort of the industry. And then you have smaller players. I know you also have uh, a position in LCII, which is a, uh, I believe it's a component provider for RV. RV makers and so yeah, LCI industries. Okay, so so in terms of market share and in terms of competition, what are the what are the dynamics there? Is it is it a very does Thor have pretty strong market power and pricing power and so forth, or how does that how do they play with their peers and with the smaller companies in the industry? Of course, this is not my uh, field of greatest expertise, so I'm not. Uh, talking now as an industry analyst. What I gather, though, is that this is a Coke-Pepsi duopoly type thing, and those are great situations in which to be Coke, you know? Of course, yeah. So without getting too fine, Thor's profit margins are high single digits. They have um, lots of room to expand, potentially. Right, assuming they have those tailwinds where yes, newer people are continuing to buy into the industry, that would make that would make sense. Yeah, and just as an aside, Doctor, one of the things Mike and I have learned in doing this podcast, where we're editors and we're by nature generalists, I think it's it's worthwhile for us at least to explore where where our limits are and to kind of get that sense of. And you're going to be a generalist most of the time, and so you're going to have to make uh, some some anal- analysis, despite not being an industry analyst. I appreciate your your approach there. And actually, if I can segue there, I, what I like about this article is that you're not doing an elaborate DCF model. You're not doing this sort of posing that you are an expert, that you have all this detailed years or experience. It's a very straightforward model. You're uh, valuation is a price to sales at the end. And so 
Is that something deliberate from your part? I know you, you obviously cover a lot of biotechs, a lot of pharmaceuticals that are by nature more complex. How do you sort of, do you, do you look at it that way? Is that you're taking a analysis that's a step removed or how are you, how are you assessing your own work here? As far as uh, DCFs go, I, I don't feel that I can have any competitive advantage over the uh, people who really do it all the time. Um, I question whether there's real value even in doing it because everything is based on assumptions and right, um, right. these are these are stocks that trade they trade on perceptions of reality then ultimately they trade on reality but by the time the new reality comes they trade on a new perception of a of the existing reality and the future uh, yet to come and so what I've done with Thor is decided this is a bull market it's a continued bull market and more for the economy now because of what the uh, Fed is doing. But the Fed ultimately becomes another entity that, that ultimately drops out. It's not going to cause a Great Depression. And, and so what you're, what you're left with is what I'm left with, with this well-managed uh, company that's a uh, consolidator is where has it traded on in other bull markets on a on a price just empirically it turned out the price sales looked to be the one that was uh, the one that worked that could be a rule of thumb and in fact what it did was it let me take profits at 160 um having bought some in the 130s and some in the 150s i, I sold all of those uh when it hit 160 i, I did buy back way before it hit 120 so so I'm I'm in with a very very full position, and some of that is in the 140s and and 130. But 160 was my upside target based on current price of sales. I, the way things are going, I, I think that's now looking like 170. Beyond that, I, I think what's important to think about this uh, smallish company, and then think about any company, including biotechs, is. What are the uh, current perceptions on it? What's, what has Mr. Market gotten? Usually he gets things right, but what has he gotten wrong? And when I first started uh, following and buying Gilead, Gilead was not well known. Pretty quickly it got very well known <laughs> and we know what happened. And no one basically knows Thor, no one, no one knows LCI. And so even people who know Thor don't know that it basically just made an, essentially an acquisition of half of different aspects of international RVing, including RV rental and trip planning via a deal with a New Zealand-based company, Tourism Holdings Limited. Okay. And okay. so it's now in the digital space, it's in the trip planning space. Once it's in the trip planning space for RVs, it can be in the trip planning space for automobiles and and the like. And so I see this as a company with lots of adjacencies. It also, for example, a few years ago bought an aluminum uh, company, Postle, P-O-S-T-L-E, aluminum. So um, it could go further into that. It could also follow Forest River and go into financing, which it doesn't provide, I believe. So, um, so I'm pretty comfortable that that um, if the management stays focused and uh, stays financially strong, that even 
if and when the next recession comes in the ne- or the next down cycle comes and it's hard, that Thor would be in the best position to then gain further market share organically as weaker players drop out. Right. One of the attractive things here is that their balance sheet is fairly clean from what I am pulling it up now just to make sure I didn't misremember that. But they're going to be debt free by end of July, by end of their Q4. That's right. Yeah, because they're paying down from their last acquisition. I I had come across that they were involved with a website called Road Trippers, I yes. think, which yes, yeah. So the, that comes from the deal with Tourism Holdings Limited, a public company in New Zealand. One of the co-founders of Thor, uh, Mr. Thompson, Wade Thompson, was uh, an immigrant to the U.S. from New Zealand. And I just wonder if that might relate to the relationship that you know, might have uh, developed between Tourism Holdings and Thor. Right. Yeah, right. It's really interesting. The management story here is also intriguing to me because they don't give conference calls. They don't. They they give a very thorough Q and A, but obviously it's their own assessment of what the key questions are of a quarter. Uh, So it seems like one of these sort of old school, smaller companies, it reminds the the company it most reminds me of is Americo U-Haul in terms of similar sort of under the radar, even though they are a brand that people are familiar with as consumers. How do you get comfortable with a management team given that? And I, I don't know if you've had a chance to reach out to them or how do you when they are a little bit under the radar, but still they're not a tiny company. They're a six bigger than a $6 billion company by market cap. How do you get comfortable given that sort of under the radar profile? Well, I love it. I'm not a big fan of um, wall street faves and uh, on average though, I'm, I think somewhat uh, known as a, as a huge fan of Apple. So, but Apple just taking the other, the other size range. I, I think there are a lot of similarities between companies like Thor. I don't know Emirco, just the name, but and Apple and uh, others that basically don't do showy acquisitions. Uh, when Apple makes an acquisition of uh, Beats or Authentic, generally of uh, private companies, I don't know if Wall Street, meaning the financial community, even gets a cut of the action. When right. Thor made the kind of transformative acquisition of Jayco in 2016, it was buying its neighbor in Elkhart. So I'm sure that the I just sure I just assume that the principals just got together over a beer and worked out the terms, and and that, right. that right. Wall Street didn't get a few percent, and and so I'm very comfortable given the track record, and, and these are classic I think Warren Buffett type. The founders, uh, Mr. Orthwine, who is the OR of Thor, and then Mr. Thompson, who was the TH of Thor, uh, got together in 1978 um, as New Yorkers in business in the financial community who knew each other. Orthwine is, I believe, the great-great-grandson to, great-grandson of August Bush, of Anheuser-Busch. Um, right, so he's, yeah. got, he's got quite the business background. And... They, the two of them in 1978, of all things, bought a trailer company, Hilo Trailer, and they bought it, it sounds like 
for asset value because who wanted the business? Then in 1980, they bought a money-losing subsidiary of Beatrice Foods, Airstream, and turned it around and cut costs. And they've been doing this for this sort of thing for uh, for many years. They they don't give stock incentive bonuses. They give cash bonuses to management, basically. The share count stays the same. Periodically, they pay out uh, a special dividend, a one or two dollar special dividend, which Costco does. So I, I see right. I see comparisons of Thor with the best of the best companies in America, large and small, and where I just want to be an owner, comfortable going to sleep at night or over a three day. Uh, holiday weekend and waking up and still being an owner of this company. That's funny when you see those parallels with those sorts of companies. And if you're able to recognize those patterns, presumably that's where you can you can do well as an investor. One other thing I wanted to bring up, which we talked about, you know, the market often gets it right. From my vantage point as an editor, I can often see how conversations develop in the market and you can see where a bubble might be forming, not in the asset value itself, but in investor sentiment. Investors get really excited about high-yielding high REITs of whatever sort, for example, and that can be trouble because so many people are getting involved in the same thing. And Thor is, the coverage on Seeking Alpha is fairly bullish. I think there's one author who is somewhat neutral, but most people are, you look at the headlines and they're pretty positive stuff over the last year or two. The market has pulled back quite a bit. And so one of my initial reactions there is is not, I don't believe the market is efficient. I don't believe the market is always right with stocks like this, but I do worry a little bit that if so many people in our community are bullish about this and the market isn't reacting, there may be something we're missing. Obviously, we've talked about the story itself a lot, but do you ever, how do you look at what else is out there? How much do you, and this doesn't have to be a seeking out of a question, but how else do you assess what, what other market participants are thinking and what that means for your thinking on a given stock, whether Thor or any other one that you cover? Well, I have a lot of respect for the mythical Mr. Market. I, I certainly, uh, even even a biotech stock that I know well, I don't know as well as many who are um, in the market, in the hedge fund community, in the companies and in the industry. I'm, I'm retired now from the uh, pharmaceutical industry. So that goes double for Thor. So what I try to do is be a, a little bit like the um, hedgehog, the Isaiah Berlin right. uh, fox versus hedgehog. And and I don't know if I know things, but I, at least if I can have a belief that I'm comfortable with and I'm dealing with my life savings here and some family uh, money that I'm investing, then I can watch prices roil around and, and do what they do. You know, uh, Mr. Buffett uh, said some time ago that you shouldn't be in the stock market if you can handle and not be uh, surprised by a 50% drawdown. So I can definitely see that, and, and it wouldn't change the company. The company is about to be debt-free. 
if there's uh, another you know crash, Thor could fall a lot further in price. But I think the company goes on. One thing, though, even about market crashes is I went back and looked at its long-term chart. It went public in 84. And in the crazy period from 98 to 2000, Thor had peaked in 98, where most stocks did. And it bottomed in 2000. Then it went up 10 times from what adjusted price of 5 to 50 or 55. Um, and it rose through the 2001-2 recession and bear market. So... Uh, I, I think this is one of the lessons that Buffett and other value, well, every value uh, investor points out is that the averages are one thing, but any individual stock or sector is, is different and may, you, you may just miss it because you're worried and correctly worried, let's say, about the, uh, the spy, the cues, and so forth. Right, right. So you brought up the idea of the hedgehog and the fox, and the hedgehog is the type who has an idea, in this case, about a stock and kind of sticks to it. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned that you had done some trading around Thor, so I guess just as a quick follow-up there, you it doesn't sound you, – you're let not me, buying let – me, Let me clarify that. Sure, I had sure. bought a, a good deal at 100 um, close to a year ago, and then again – in August, and that that's permanent. Okay. Wow, okay. As it went up, um, I bought more on the good news and went to my surprise, meaning in the 130s and then some around 150, at one quarter and then another. And I don't love stocks, no matter how much I love the company, that have gone vertical when the Fed is tightening. So right, this, right. the highest basis stuff I, I sold and then I bought it all back. I didn't pick the bottom. But um, the, the sales were good, you know, relative to the buybacks. But the core position is is at a hundred. Okay. I, so, what is the time frame that you, either in this case or in general, and I'm asking, of course, for yourself. But what do you yep. generally look at for how you're going to hold? How long are you planning to hold this? Obviously, price is what will tell you when to sell if you sell, but how are, are you buy and hold or are you looking to adjust or how are you kind of looking at it from a portfolio management perspective? Yeah, well, um, that's a great, it's a, it's a great sort of double question. I, I've, I've thought about in the past when I retired young from medicine about whether I wanted to be a portfolio manager, but I didn't. And so just in terms of, of myself, it, I'm more open to selling or, and selling all or almost all of the position. If, if I think it's 2007, when I largely got out of the market, I didn't forecast a great recession, but I did think the U.S. was in a recession already. And, okay. um, and um, But outside of that, if you go back to the prior 15-year stretch from, say, 1967 through 82. Um, and then compare that as a choppy, not very good period, very different in many ways, but to the 2001-16, not very good period. From 82 to 2007, the U.S. basically had a really good economy for 25 years. The, the SNL crisis in Iraq gave a mild recession but in 1991. But GDP, right. real GDP, rose every year 
1983 through 2007, including 1990, 91, and 2001. So ideally, if if Thor's uh, price never runs away and the company keeps executing, I don't see any reason to to not just hold it forever. Okay. That's one of those cases where stepping back and looking at the history and at how the company has done and how the market has done, that makes a lot of sense. That would seem to... So maybe last question. This has been fantastic, and I really appreciate you hearing some of these potential risks to the thesis or some of these potential concerns and hearing how you're thinking through them. What brought Thor to your attention? How did you... It's a relatively quiet company. How did you come across it? What what made you think that... The, obviously, you've done your research since then, but what kind of first appealed to you about the company? How how did that come across your radar? Uh, that's a really great question. I, um, some people would wonder why a retired doctor you know, follows uh, stocks like this, knows about them. Uh, going back to the 80s, I ended up just by repetition of reading, memorizing uh, most of uh, Value Line. And I knew Thor from Value Line from the 80s and the 90s. It, Thor went public in 1984. It turns out it's had a compound annual total return of about 18% for these 34 years. And it's in a very tough industry. Uh, in the 80s, that was the uh, period where machinery type stuff, autos and whatever, were things that went rust in the night. And so I, I noticed that it kept breaking out after a downturn to new highs. And so I, I, it was always very much on the back of uh, my radar screen. But uh, I noticed in mid-2016 that when I was just turning bullish on the economy cyclically, that it had made what looked like a uh, very good a meaningful acquisition of its neighbor and competitor, Jayco, which had was doing similar things to Thor, but had much lower operating margins. And I then reviewed the history of Thor, and I realized that what it has done is it has kept buying underperforming uh, competitors and improving their operations. And you know, I don't think you see the name Thor anywhere. You see the names of its uh, subsidiaries, and you keep the management in places very Berkshire Hathaway-ish. And so I looked at the chart. I said, there's a breakout. The economy's breaking out. I said, I want to own stocks of uh, leaders uh, where the charts are leaders in an economy that's recovering from a, a slowdown. You know, so that's a technically strong pattern, operationally strong. And here was a company doing an acquisition and talking about uh, it being accretive to earnings, not adjusted earnings and uh, saying it was going to pay down the debt soon, which which it's paid down. And so I thought the whole uh, macro setup was right and the, and the micro and the technical breakout. So I ended up trading Thor a bit until after the, after the election and, and doing well with it in the 75 to 90 something range, I think. But then when it just started doing so, so well and the market just became a runaway looking early last year and uh, like a runaway freight train, then, then I said, you, you just want to be with a leader and a bottom left, top right chart, sort of the way I did with deer and right, really, right. you know, yeah. Apple over the years and, and want to be part of this, this story that, that's, as you said, a quiet company that could become discovered 
concentrated a higher, um, say, a higher relative multiple on, on normalized earnings, normalized cyclical earnings. Okay. Okay. That sounds like, uh, again, recognizing patterns and recognizing, I think the, what I had top of mind was how do you handle the cycle and how do you assess that? And it sounds like throughout this, lots of different patterns that you're applying to your analysis of Thor and that makes it easier if you get the patterns right. Of course, it makes it easier to deal with the uncertainty that comes with any investment. So, so that's all right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. X. I thought this was really a great conversation. I appreciate you joining us on Behind the Idea. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Seeking Alpha's Behind the Idea. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes and Apple Podcasts. If you have a chance, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes. If you have feedback, suggested articles, or anything else for Behind the Idea, tweet at DanielSeekingA or at Taylor, or email me at Daniel at SeekingAlpha.com or Mike at MTaylor at SeekingAlpha.com. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Behind the Idea.